0: You are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His
1: love. Romans 1 8 through 17. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times and I pray that now at last the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I am obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith.
0: All right, thank you, Megan. Appreciate you reading scripture for us. And it is so wonderful to see you. It has been a long time. It's been too long, and we've missed doing life together. We've celebrated weddings. We've shared heartache together. We prayed for one another. The Trujillo family. Nicole, bring our love to Mauricio, who's in the hospital. Santi Sebastian, we're standing with you in prayer. Let's see Frank and Annette. Stephanie, in your loss this fall, we're praying for you. And across this room, we have missed doing life together. But the Lord has kept us knit together in the spirit, and it's so good to worship again in person. I want to do a special welcome, too, to Josh and Tega Vance. Why don't you run up here real quick? Let's do this spontaneously. So, naive, bold, courageous... Josh started in youth ministry in the middle of a pandemic school year when neither school was in session nor the church was meeting and he said yes to this ministry opportunity and so we'll celebrate more formally later and do a installation they call it but I just want you all to see Josh and Taga in person and uh, let's give them a round of applause. I'm going to pray for them quick too. Let's do that. Lord, we thank you for the gift of this godly couple that has said yes to your call on their life. Lord, they got married this fall, and now here they are in a new community, Josh serving the church, serving our students and families. And we just ask, Lord, your abundant blessing over him and over Tega as they make their way together. Lord, we welcome them in your name, and we give you thanks and praise. Amen. All right, you two. We'll see ya. (laughs) Okay, we better move towards the sermon. Uh, We did leave, you know, because it is so cold out. You you can hear the air exchangers on. We thought you'd appreciate a little extra heat this morning. So those are on. I want to thank Megan for reading Romans 1 for us. With Megan reading this and Valentine's Day, I just was thinking back to Megan and Brian's wedding that we celebrated a few years ago. It was just this memorable occasion, great wedding. And imagine this. We were all sitting comfortably outside. This was at Russell's on the Lake, sun on our faces, the guests were in short sleeves, the waves lapping up on the beach there at Russell's, and so I promise those days are coming again. It's hard to imagine right now when we're in the frozen tundra. But happy Valentine's Day to all of you, and it is a significant day because to the day it is also our 11th birthday as a congregation. It was Valentine's Day. The 14th was a Sunday in 2010. And so even in the weeks leading up to that, the newspaper ad had hearts and Valentine's colors as our worship invitation to our first worship service. All this had me thinking back in this Valentine's theme to a hymn that was written by William Cowper. We've told a bit of his story in the past, but I don't think we've ever cited this song He has a song about a fountain, and he has this word in it Redeeming love has been my theme. Isn't that an awesome line for Valentine's Day? Redeeming love has been my theme. And I don't know if Valentine's Day for you is particularly happy or it's hard. For some of us, there is a measure of heartache that is part of Valentine's Day. And yet, for all of us, may this be a day when we can say, Redeeming love. Has been my theme. And that's what we're reading about in Romans. We started Romans last week, and it's going to be a book of the Bible that shapes much of 2021 for us. We're going to spend the first half of Romans here in the weeks from now till Easter, and then we'll camp out in the Gospel of Mark for the summer, and then in the fall, when we come back and hopefully school is all in session, we'll come back and do the second half of Romans. But as we pointed out last week, We've been waiting on this book of the Bible for quite some time. Waiting to be ready for Romans. Because there's a weight and a depth to this. I mean, even as Megan was reading it, it's just thick to make our way through these lines. In a sense, it reminds me of being at the top of a ski hill. Do we have any skiers or snowboarders who are here? So you know the feeling when you have mustered up enough courage to stand at the top of the black diamond and the wind is whipping around up there, and you've got your skis or your board pointed downhill, and you're looking down, and you take a big, deep breath, and you push off, and you go for it. That's kind of what it feels like here to stand at the top of Romans. Now, I would point out that God's Word is, we could look at 2 Timothy, where it says, all of Scripture is God-breathed. And so, in a sense, we don't rank books of the Bible, do we? So, all of Scripture means from the more obscure parts to the more well known parts. It's all useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And yet, there are parts of the Bible that are really intended to communicate the core. And that is the book of Romans. It's one of those places. Martin Luther said, This epistle, which is another word for letter, this epistle is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. And I told you last week how the book of Romans was used by God so powerfully in the lives of people like Martin Luther and Augustine and John Wesley. And I invited you last week in our online service to take a big deep breath with us and to step into the book of Romans. From Augustine's story, remember the lines, take up and read, he heard a little child singing, From the other side of the neighborhood. Because God has moved here in the past. And so we want to take this up and read expectantly, wondering, how will He meet me now in these pages? And so last week we read the opening verses in 1 to 7. Now today we move into part 2 of the introduction, verses 8 to 17. And I've entitled our message, What It Looks Like to Live by Faith. And today in our time, I want to share five descriptors with you, five words from the text that give us a picture of what it looks like to live by faith. And sticking with the skiing metaphor just a little longer, I want you to picture the progression of this passage like one of those ski jumps. And I mean the big ones from the Olympics where they fly down the ramp on skis that look more like paddles. They don't even hold on to poles. They're in their aerodynamic suit And they go faster and faster until they lift off at the bottom of the ramp and they fly some 300 feet through the air. That's kind of the route of the message this morning. As we pick up steam and we collect these five descriptors along the way and when we get to the end, it's just going to send us soaring into the air because verses 16 and 17 are really the crescendo, the thesis statement of the whole book of Romans. You remember what a thesis statement is? You're having a flashback to high school English class. I don't remember much from that class, but I do remember Mrs. Anderson. And I remember that a thesis statement is where the author writes the main idea of their entire paper. Or in Paul's case, of his entire letter. As dry as thesis statement might sound, I assure you when we hit verses 16 and 17, it is anything but that. We'll land on the pinnacle of the gospel. When we come to these words, the heart of what it really means to be in relationship with God. So that is a little introduction. Then let's get started and I want to share the first of these five descriptors with you. What does it look like to live by faith? The first one for us today is the word thankful. Thankful. Paul says in verse 8, "First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Now remember, he's writing to those following Christ in the city of Rome. They were not the majority by any means in their city. So let us not be surprised in our own time if we are not in the majority in following Jesus. And maybe we find that increasingly so in our culture. In Rome, they would gather not in a church building, not even in a YMCA, but in little clusters of house churches. That was the church in Rome. And Paul's relationship to them was somewhat unique when we compare it to his other letters. Because Paul hadn't planted the church there, nor had he ever even visited Rome to visit the people there. So he's writing to people he has never met, but whom he cherishes as brothers and sisters in Christ. And it kind of reminds me of the relationship that we have forged this last year with a little local church in South Asia... Where this past year, to celebrate our 10th birthday, we built a church, which at the same time was a YMCA, and we dug a water for clean drinking water. We can't even name the country where this happened out of reasons for safety. We can't name the pastor's name. But our hearts are there. These are our brothers and sisters. And so we too can say, I thank God through Jesus Christ for all of you. That's this affection of the heart we see in Paul. And I want you to notice that not even our gratitude stands by itself. You know, Paul could have simply said, if you look at that line, first I thank God for all of you, but no, he says I thank God through Jesus Christ. Paul writes in another of his letters, there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. And so we see... How powerful is the name of Jesus? Our salvation comes through Christ. Our prayer life goes through Christ. And yes, even our gratitude goes back to God through Christ. If you are a Christian, if you are living by faith, then your life is marked by thankfulness. And what a reminder this year. You know, a year where it it would be so easy... To be consumed by complaining and criticizing and griping when so many things have gone wrong. The Bible is saying, yes, but you can choose thankfulness. Even in hardship and yes, even in sorrow, we can be thankful. So real quick too, I want to point out the basis for Paul's thankfulness. He names it. You know, he could have just said that he is thankful for them, but no, he says, I'm thankful because your faith is being reported all over the world. There was this aroma of Christ that was coming from this little church in Rome. And other believers across the empire were getting a sense of it. And for you and I, wouldn't it be wonderful if in other cities and in other countries this little church in a YMCA could have an impact and the aroma of Christ could go forth from here? You know, you don't have to be big or fancy to make a difference. You just have to be faithful. Our eyes fixed on Jesus, living out the gospel. And then we see here in the story, the word was spreading. The good news was going out into the world. And the Roman church was part of it. And you and I, in our day, we get to be part of it. So that's the first thing. From there, we see Paul pick up steam here on our way down the ski slope. He's not just thankful, but secondly, our second descriptor, he's prayerful. Paul says, For God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. So keep in mind, Paul's never met them, but he's praying for them. And I hope that you have been able to experience this in some degree this year. Where the church has been scattered and strewn about across the landscape. We've been stuck in our homes. Many of us not seeing each other for weeks or months on end. But what sweet consolation there is when we get to remember one another in prayer. Paul says to them, I've been praying for you constantly and at all times. Which, you know... He does not mean literally, without stopping. What he means is that he's prayed for them regularly and frequently for these believers in the church in Rome. Not only does he pray for them, but we also see in the next line that he's praying to be able to come to them. He wants to visit. Very practical in his prayers is Paul. He's been wanting to visit Rome, meet the believers there, and then to use Rome also as a springboard into new frontiers. Later in Romans, in in chapter 15, he says that he plans to go to Spain after he visits them. Until now, though, that hasn't happened, but Paul is persevering in prayer for them and for these plans. Thirdly, on our list, we start to see the purpose of Paul's desire to visit. And our key word here, thirdly, is encouraging. Encouraging. Verse 11, he says, I long to see you So that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. So Paul was an apostle. He's a key leader in the early church. And if he were able to visit the believers in Rome, it would bring such encouragement to them. Have you ever had a visit from someone where you came away from them? Maybe it was, you know, you flew somewhere and visited somebody, but it could just be in a coffee shop too. You ever visited somebody and you just came away from it strengthened? You just felt it in your bones and in your heart? That's the sense that we get here from Paul, that God has designed us for this. That's why it's so significant that we can be together today. He strengthens us through the presence of others, through the little clusters of people at these other tables in the room. One of the effects of having been scattered and isolated is that now and throughout this year, really today is the start line of what it means to regather and to come back in person to worship and to serve. Now for completely legitimate reasons, of course this is going to be a process and there are people that will have to wait for weeks and months and, and quite a bit longer in order to come back. But when the time is right... For each of us and for our brothers and sisters who aren't yet here, it'll be so important to come back and meet in person. You know, the church is not a place that you just want to check out online. It is not just a live stream to watch a little bit of from your couch. You know, those tools have their place. They've been invaluable to us this whole year where we have been stretched apart. They keep us connected. But worship And discipleship and mission happens best when we can do it face to face. So Paul's not in that situation yet with the Romans. He's trying to get there. He wants to get there. Not just so that they would be strengthened, but notice, he says it's also for him. He says that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So this descriptor of living by faith is not just about encouraging others, but about being encouraged yourself. Their encouragement is mutual. And the source of their encouragement is what? He names it. He says, by each other's faith. That's how we'll be encouraged. You know, just like you, I have friends and people in my life I care about deeply who are not followers of Jesus. And I cherish those relationships. I seek them out. Love to spend time with those friends. But I can also tell you this, that there's a distinct difference between that kind of relationship and what you can have when you meet together with a Spirit-filled friend. There's a difference. The difference is mutual encouragement in Christ. Paul says, I long to see you, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And that's one of the reasons that we meet together. To look each other in the eyes. And yes, we can still look each other in the eyes even with masks on. To look each other in the eyes and to speak life to one another. To encourage each other. When you live by faith, you get to live thankful, prayerful, and in a way that encourages others. Number four is the word unashamed. We're picking up speed. We're now getting close to the bottom of that ski ramp. And here we are with this weighty word, unashamed. Paul says in verse 15, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And now here's verse 16 in the start of this towering purpose statement to the book of Romans. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Living by faith means you get to hold the gospel and not be ashamed of it. Which to me seems to indicate that it would be quite possible to be ashamed of the message of Jesus. You think about Paul, he's a Roman citizen, highly educated. He lives in a culture where crucifixion is the most shameful way that a person could die. So what could he possibly want to do with a crucified so-called Messiah from Galilee? Well, at first he wanted nothing to do with him. That is, until Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. If you have not had this kind of personal encounter with Jesus, then I think it would be easy to be ashamed of the gospel. You know, if the label Christian is just something that you kind of have to wear, then I think it would be easy to be a label that you might want to cover up and hide. If you're a student, you know, and you're getting older and coming of years, then this could just be your parents' thing. You know, if you talk to some of the older ones of us who are here, I, I know this is some of our story. You know, you just kind of went to church because that's what your parents did and they said so. But as soon as you're on your own and you hit your 20s and then you're just not that interested. You certainly aren't going to stand up for it on a college campus or at a job. And so we find ourselves in a nation where we need to intercede for our young people because it is so easy to fade from church going into some kind of default agnosticism or atheism. You know what the fastest-growing religious group is in our country today? It's the group called the nuns. And no, I don't mean the sweet old ladies in the convent. The fastest-growing religious group is the nuns, and that is those who indicate no religious affiliation whatsoever. It is increasingly unusual to say, I follow Jesus. It can be uncomfortable to stand up and say I follow Christ if we have not met him in a personal life-changing way. I want to tell you about William Tyndale. If you watched the online service last week, I mentioned him by name. I said I don't have time to tell you, but this is the week. Now I get to tell you about Tyndale. I don't know if you've ever heard his name before, but if you have an English Bible in front of you or on your phone... You have William Tyndale to thank. He was an Englishman. He was a priest. And he was a linguist. Any of you speak seven languages? Yeah, me neither. William Tyndale did. And so there he was in England. And because of his academic training and his training as a priest, he was able to read the Bible in the original Greek and Hebrew in a time when... Basically, nobody else in his country could. You had to have his level of training in order to have access to the Bible. And so it lit in him a passion for his fellow countrymen that they might be able to have the Bible in their own language, in English. And he was inspired by what he saw across the way in Germany, where Martin Luther had just done this and translated the Bible for the first time into German now accessible to the people. And so Tyndale was going to do the same thing in English. But this was not a welcome proposal, not by the church authorities, isn't that ironic, nor by the king, King Henry VIII. So Tyndale went to Germany where he could then freely and safely work on his translation of the Bible. And in 1525, the first English New Testament translated from the original was published by William Tinsdale. Remember, this is also the time when the printing press had been developed. And so now copies were being made and sent back to England and distributed. But the king and the religious leaders back home, they were not happy one bit about it. And so they started to hatch a plan to capture Tyndale, even if they had to do it on foreign soil. In the meantime, Tyndale went to the Netherlands, and there he lived undercover, and now he was translating the Old Testament. But not just that, I want you to listen to how he would spend his weekend. On Saturdays, they reported, he'd walk the streets of Antwerp and he'd minister to the poor. On Sundays, he'd have dinner with merchants in their homes and he would read the scriptures to them. On Mondays, apparently Tyndale had a long weekend, he would visit other refugees like him from England and encourage them. All of this went on there in the Netherlands for nine years until Tyndale was finally betrayed by a friend and he was lured away and arrested by the king's men. He was accused of heresy, stripped of the priesthood, and condemned to die. I'm going to spare you the details of how that happened, but I will tell you this that there in the town square on the day of his execution, Tyndale was given the chance to recant and to spare his life, and he refused. They gave him then a couple last minutes to pray before his execution, and here's what he prayed, and he prayed it right out loud for everybody to hear. He said, Lord... Open the king of England's eyes. And then he was killed. Listen know how this prayer was answered. Almost a century later, the king of England was a man named James. And he commissioned 47 scholars to translate an authorized edition of the Bible for the entire English-speaking world that Bible came to be known as the King James Version. Tyndale was unashamed of the gospel. He knew Jesus and he treasured his word. Listen to what Tyndale wrote in his preface to the book of Romans, the very thing we're studying. He said, No one can read it too often or study it too well. For the more it is studied, the easier it is. The more it is chewed, the more pleasant it is. And the more groundly it is searched, the more precious the things that are found in it. And with that, we come to the final characteristic of what it means to live by faith. We've reached the end of the ski jump. We're at maximum velocity. I think it's something like 60 miles an hour. And now we're about ready to take off into the air with this final word. And that is the word believing. Believing. Listen to these closing verses. This is the thesis statement of Romans. And this is what we're going to be unpacking in the weeks to come as we venture into further chapters. This is also a passage I would commend to you, regardless of your age, to learn this one by heart. And if you can read that print, should we read this out loud together? I just love these words. I just don't want it to be my voice alone. Let's read together. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last Just as it is written, now a little bit louder, the righteous will live by faith. Do you know what it looks like to live by faith? To believe in the gospel? Or are you still banking on Luther's great temptation to just be good enough? To tip the moral scales somehow in your direction So that in the end, God will let you in through the door. Here's what Romans makes crystal clear. And this is across scripture. And then in Romans, it is so clear that believing is not something that we do for God, believing is a response to what God has done for us. That He sent His Son to die on the cross for my sins. So that I can be free and forgiven. Free from the tyranny of sin, death, and evil. That I get to be a child of God now. It starts right now and lasts for all eternity. That's the gospel. And by believing, here's what you do. You just open your hands and you get to accept this gift that God holds out for you in His grace. We accept it. And we place our trust in Him. On this Valentine's Day, you might find yourself today on the receiving end of a gift. It could be flowers, it could be chocolates, it might be a new fishing rod, or a piece of jewelry. But the greatest treasure of all is where we started today, when we can say, redeeming love has been my theme And you know, there's one other song, kind of like it, that I want to close with. The chorus says, I love to tell the story. It will be my theme in glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and His love. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord Jesus, thank You for the true story. Of your love for us. How you came for us. Died for us and made us your own. That we get to be your sons and daughters. Lord, would we never grow tired or unaffected by the power of the gospel. But would you help us to live by faith. And to speak of your love far and wide. Lord, if there is someone here right now who has heard your word from Romans this morning and and who just recognizes, I've never believed in the Lord that way. I pray, Lord, that they would sense that it is you who is stirring in their heart, that it is you who is calling their name. And I pray, Lord, that they would place all of their trust, all of their future in you. And that this would be a day of salvation. You've offered this gift to us, Lord. We receive it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.